You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. know if I'm really worshiping God. The closer you get to Jesus and the more you put God on the throne of your life, the more satisfied you'll be in life, no matter your bank account, no matter your circumstances. The closer you get to Jesus and the more you put God on the throne of your life, the more you'll be satisfied in life. The less you'll be concerned about the bigger house or the bigger boat or the status or the whatever. Listen, (laughs) the more you grow spiritually, the less you want materially. We're so focused on wealth and status that we even have a saying for it, keeping up with the Joneses. The Joneses are a fictional family that have it all, high paying jobs, material wealth, healthy, obedient kids, and of course, flawless physiques. We know in our heart of hearts that such a family doesn't exist, and yet somehow we're focused on them as our goal to achieve. In today's message, Pastor Danny encourages you instead to worship God. The closer you are to Him, the more satisfied you'll be. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, as he continues his message, The Spirit of Prophecy, Jesus. when we were able to buy our second house, which is still the house we live in. We've only lived in two houses. And I remember standing out front after we moved in at night and and looking and just saying, God, I can't believe you gave me this house. It's got a second story. It gave us room for our kids. It's got a big backyard. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. The the difference is it's a blessing, and you count it as a blessing, but some people, you see, that's what they're living for. Now, I'm not saying I'm immune to that. We're all prone to worship something or someone other than God. I'm not trying to put myself above anybody else. Better thing to relate would be the second boat. I've had a second house, but I got a second boat too. And in the boating world, in my experience, you never, you never go downsize. You always want a bigger boat. I started with a 20-foot aqua sport, and then, uh, you know, I prayed, and God gave me permission to get another boat. Unfortunately, it took two years after God gave me permission for my wife to give me the permission. And so it was two years later, and we were looking for another one, and finally we get a 25-foot wellcraft. Now, it's an older hull. God gave me the money to just get a new motor on it, and so I got a, I got a fresh motor, and, and now the bottom's messed up. So, but listen, that thing that can be a blessing, you see, you got to watch out. You gotta, I got to watch out. The eyes of man are never satisfied. You get the house, and at first you're all excited about it, but then if you're not careful, you, you want a different house, and, and you think if you get a different house, you'll be satisfied. No, you won't. 
You think if you get a better boat or a bigger boat or a newer boat, you'll be satisfied. No, you won't. You will initially, and you'll think, this is what I wanted in life, and now my life, I'm going to be totally fulfilled. No, you won't. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie, and we believe it. A little more money, a bigger house, a bigger boat, the motorcycle, whatever it is, beating the rock star, and you just read the stories of the rock stars. Once they got famous, it didn't give them what they were looking for. There is none of them. None of them that will say, when we finally arrived, that's when we knew that's where life is. No, the stories are we got there, and it wasn't what we thought it would be. That's what the song Hotel California by the Eagles is all about. No matter what anybody says, that's what it's about. <laughs> I heard them in an interview. It's about when they made it in the whole California scene, and it didn't deliver what they expected. And it's the story of rock stars. It's the story of movie stars. You look at Elvis. He was miserable. The king. Because he didn't follow the king. If you act like you're getting this, I'll stop yelling and I'll move on to the next point. Listen. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. Paul discovered the secret to life. His name is Jesus. And Paul said, I've realized what life's all about, and I've sacrificed everything else that was my profit. Anything that was to my profit, I've said, that's, it's, it's dung. You know what dung is? You take what will support your life and you flush the rest. Paul's saying, I'm flushing. I'm flushing all this stuff. Jesus is the only thing that matters. And because of that, he tells us he learned. He learned in life. He learned contentment. He found that life wasn't dependent on what he had and what he didn't have and what his circumstances were. He, he learned, he learned that life is in Christ. And he is the fullness of life in bodily form. And the closer Paul the apostle got to Jesus, the more he experienced satisfaction in life. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I find it fascinating over the years how in normal devotional reading, God planned before the beginning of time that some of those devotional reading times, you get them right when you need them and right when they fit. Friday, before I got to finalizing my notes for the message, I did my normal reading and devotional time. And when I went to Psalm 81, I went, Lord, really? Let me read you Psalm 81, verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will warn you. If you would but listen to me, O Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not bow down to an alien God. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I'll fill it. But my people would not listen. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. I gave them what they wanted. I gave them the bigger boat or the house or the fame or the status or whatever. I gave them. I gave them that to teach them a lesson. Verse 13, if my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? In other words, you know what victory in life is really all about. 
And here's how it ended. Verse 16, but you would be fed with the finest of wheat. If you just listen, the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would, I would satisfy you. And you'd be able to say after you come away from God's table, now I'm, I'm full. I'm satisfied. Worshiping anything or anyone other than God leaves me dissatisfied in life. Now there's another fascinating thing from our text. John falls to worship at the feet of an angel. Let me give you a scripture, Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Now hang with me here. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what the apostle Paul writes here. Verse 18, don't let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels, worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. Then he describes what he's talking about. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head. That's Jesus, from whom the whole body grows as God causes it to grow. What he's talking about here is a belief um, and a religious practice called Gnosticism. And one of the elements of Gnosticism is the Gnostic said, well, we can't go directly to God because we're not worthy. And so what they began to do is they began to go into the spirit realm. And they would, according to them, have contact with angels. And what became a pattern with the Gnostics is they would come and tell you about their spiritual experience and the angel that it appeared to them. And they believed that this spiritual experience with the angels, the angels would then take their request uh, to God. And so through angels, they would get closer to God. That's the basic summary of some of the teaching of Gnosticism. And that's what Paul the Apostle is writing about here in Colossians chapter 2. And he said, well, you're going in a different direction here. No, 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 no. No, John the Apostle, he didn't have to give up drugs and put God on the throne. He didn't have to give up uh, worshiping materialism. He's on the island of Patmos. He's committed. He's all in. So listen, in this thing where worship is the key and we're all prone to worship something or someone other than God, let me tell you one of the things that happens in the church. You get people that sound spiritual, and they are not spiritual. Listen to me very carefully. Worshiping anything or anyone other than God can make one spiritually conceited. It used to be when I'd get around these people, I'd feel intimidated. Because they're the kind of people in the church, they go into great detail about their depth of insight and their spiritual experiences. And if you're an immature believer, you get around them and you go, man, I wish I, I've never had an experience like that. I don't know what they know. I wish I could get as close to God as they appear to be. And what you find out as you mature in the Lord is these people are not spiritual at all. They're not really connected. They're not really connected to Jesus. They may not even be saved. Now, that's not for me to judge. That's for God to judge. But anytime you meet somebody that talks about their spiritual experiences a lot, 
<laughs> you can just mark it down. That's a red flag. Red flag. Now, we'll come back to that point in the conclusion. If you're paying attention, you'll get it. Worshiping anything or anyone other than God can cause one also to seek glorious spiritual experiences rather than God or the will of God. John, glorious spiritual experience. And he makes a terrible mistake of falling at the feet of the angel. Mount of Transfiguration, we call it. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. He's transfigured before them. They see him in all of his glory. And Peter, you just love Peter, don't you? Lord, it's good to be here. <laughs> Let's just build three houses and stay here. Forget the wife. Forget the kids. Forget all the needs down in the valley. Let's just live here. This is heaven, man. And listen, it's a subtle thing, but we need to be careful. Listen, I need to hear this just as much as anybody. Thank God for glorious spiritual experiences. I've had some over the years. Thank God for those mountaintop experiences. But be careful that you don't begin to just live for the spiritual experience instead of enjoying the experience, being encouraged by the experience, and then get back down in the valley and find the will of God. It's a challenge. Everybody likes a glorious experience. And it may not be just a glorious spiritual experience, you know. I mean, you can get to a point in your Christian life and, and when you've saved and saved and saved and you move toward retirement and you think, I've done my job now and I'm just going to spend the rest of my life doing what I want to do. What did you just say? And you're going to tell me you're, you're, you're following Jesus? Really? I wasn't talking to you there. I was talking to me. Be careful in your older age. Be careful when you get to the point that you think, well, now I can just take life easy. Whoa, whoa. I understand retirement from a human standpoint, but you show me retirement in a spiritual standpoint. You show me retirement in this book. You show it to me. Not there. You get to the point that that company don't have to pay you anymore, you better make sure you better make sure that you're still bowing your knee to Jesus. Okay, God, now they don't have to support me. Now I can go anywhere. Now I can do anything. Woo, woo. Now you have freedom. Before it was, well, I'd, I, well I would go there, but, you know, I got, I got a job. Well, now you're independently wealthy, and now you can really say to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? You don't want to just cruise at the end and say, I'm just going to do what I've wanted to do all these years now. Be careful. Be careful. What does true worship really produce? How do I know if I'm really worshiping God? The closer you get to Jesus and the more you put God on the throne of your life, the more satisfied you'll be in life, no matter your bank account, no matter your circumstances. The closer you get to Jesus and the more you put God on the throne of your life, the more you'll be satisfied in life. The less you'll be concerned about the bigger house or the bigger boat or the status or the whatever. Listen, <laughs> the more you grow spiritually, the less you want materially. The psalmist would write, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire nothing but you. It'll lead to satisfaction in life. 
True worship doesn't produce somebody who just talks about all their spiritual experiences. You can't believe what God showed me. You can't believe the spiritual experience. And you're just, you're not really connected, man. Now, don't misunderstand. doesn't mean that we don't talk about spiritual experiences and things, but you understand the kind of person I mean. They're just all going into all kind of detail, and it's really more about them than it is about God. Real spiritual people do more than they say. You watch their life. They're doing more than they're talking. Produces real humility. Yields unhearted devotion. I love the phrase that Louis Giglio says. I've memorized it. Follow the trail of your time, energy, affections, and money, and there you find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is the object of your worship. Follow the trail of your time. How do I spend my time? Your energy. How do I spend my energy? Your affections. Relationships. And your money. So follow the trail of your time, your energy, your affections, and your money. And listen, whatever or whoever is on the throne of those things, that's the object of your worship. Never lies. True worship yields wholehearted devotion in regard to those practical things, time, energy, affections, and money. True worship places God on the throne of my life. And you start the day bowing the knee. And I, I would suggest literally bow the knee. I try to make it a practice every morning. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to, look, I'm suggesting it's all through the Bible. Why? In the, I don't understand the lack of passion and lack of devotion for people who know the truth. Why in the world, why in the world do people who worship a false God named Allah, why do they seem to have more devotion than we do sometimes? Why do you see them bowing three times a day, minimally, why is that? I don't get that. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. You ought to start the day with a bowed knee. And we ought to take God through the day with us. Take God through the day with us. All you do, do to the glory of God. On your days off, on your days at work, take God with you through the day. Places God on the throne of my life. And it makes Jesus the center of my life. The angel says, John, get up. Don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you. And then he adds. He adds. Let me read it again. Don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of who? Who? Jesus. Say it. Jesus. Just say it. Jesus. Say it loud. Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus said in the volume of the book, it's written of me. In Genesis 3, he's the one who crushed the head of the serpent. In Genesis 14, he's Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high. In Genesis 22, he's typified in Abraham, offering his one and only son on Mount Moriah, which is Mount Calvary. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. The death angel will pass over you if you apply the blood. In Numbers, he's the rock that accompanied them in the wilderness wandering. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Leviticus, he's the fulfillment of all the sacrifices. In Joshua, he is Joshua. That's his Old Testament name, Yeshua, Joshua. He's the one who will lead us into the land of promise. Moses couldn't do that because Moses represents the law. 
In Judges, he's the deliverer, and he's a merciful deliverer. He'll deliver you time and time and time again. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer typified in a man named Boaz. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he's typified in Samuel as prophet, priest, and judge. In the Psalms, he's all over the Psalms, filled with prophecies about him. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisdom of God, Song of Solomon, He is the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he's the word of God, warning of judgment to come. In Daniel, he's the son of man, Messiah, coming on the clouds of heaven. In Jonah, he's typified in Jonah as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But he's not there now. He's risen from the dead. In Micah, Micah predicted the exact place he would be born, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Zechariah. All over Zechariah, the angel of the Lord in Zechariah. <laughs> Zechariah tells us the exact amount of money he would be betrayed for, 30 pieces of silver. And the end of Zechariah, he's the king that one day every knee will bow to. In Malachi, the prophet Elijah comes just prior to his second coming. And in the Gospels, we have four Gospels that account for his life. His death, his burial, his resurrection. In the book of Romans, he's the one through whom we're justified by the grace of God. Acts is his continuing ministry through his disciples. First Corinthians, we're told that all things are ours in him. Second Corinthians, he's the one who knew no sin, but he became sin for us in order that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Galatians, he's the one who sets us free from the law. Can you say hallelujah to that one? In Ephesians, he's the one through whom God's ultimate will is fulfilled, that he would become the head over everything for the sake of his church. In Philippians, he's the one through whom we can do all things. Colossians, he's the preeminent one from among the dead. He's over all creation. First and second Thessalonians, he's the one who inspires us to endure present trials because he's coming again soon. First Timothy, he's the one mediator between God and man. Second Timothy, he's the one raised from the dead, descended from David. In Titus, he's the hope of eternal life promised before the beginning of time. In Philemon, he's the one who sets the prisoner free. We sang about it. First Peter, he's the one we love even though we have not seen him. Second Peter, he's the one who gives us everything we need to escape the corruption of the present world. First, second, third John, he's the word of life, the truth by which we live. In Jude, he's the one who keeps us in the midst of a godless culture. And in Revelation, he's the one soon coming king of kings and lord of lords. His name is above every name. Say it again, Jesus. Say it loud, Jesus. One day the Bible declares every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wouldn't that be a great way to end our service? Okay, let's do it. Here's my question in closing. Is God on the throne of your heart? Is God on the throne of your life? We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're not talking about sinless perfection. But you know, you know if there's someone or something that is taking priority in your life over God. Is God on the throne of your life? 
Thanks for joining us today to study the books of the New Testament with Pastor Danny Hodges, right here on The Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings through the Bible by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well to stay up to date on the latest teachings and videos. Feel free to share them with your friends and family. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you in person. Join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series, New Testament Highlights, be reminded that all these books provide a glimpse into God's heart for every person. His word is like a lighthouse, showing the way for lost ships at sea. Each person is a lost ship, floundering in the dark waters until they see that beam of light that directs them back to land. Throughout scripture, Jesus is that beam of light, lighting the path to safety. Tune in next time to hear more from Pastor Danny as he teaches in the New Testament right here on The Living Word.